The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald and you're listening to Blethered on the Big Light Network. My guest is Zoe Croy. 26-year-old Zoe recently received the news that she has ATM, also known as the cancer gene. Zoe has made the difficult decision to have a double mastectomy, which is a medical term for the surgical removal of both breasts. We talk about how a litany of cancer diagnoses in Zoe's family has shaped her understanding and perception of the illness. Zoe explains her decision, the process of post-surgery reconstruction and the implications that may come her way. And we discuss how to check your body for changes and the need to see a doctor immediately if you notice any. It might be embarrassing, but it could save your life. As you'd expect, there's a lot of graphic conversation about cancer in this episode, so if that's a particularly sensitive or painful subject for you just now, it's probably best to switch off. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash bleddered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. So again, a wee word of warning for anybody who might not want to listen to this type of conversation. I'm going to put it straight out there. We'll be talking about cancer um, as a whole and in sort of specifics. So if that's not for you, here is your warning to turn off now. However, I think it's something that everybody should give a listen uh, in terms of whether it's preventative um, information or education or knowledge. But enough about me, enough of my daft voice. Zoe, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm very sorry for the... That was a riot, wasn't it? Trying to get that set up there. It's fine. It's fine. We're, we're recording on a Sunday night, so it's out with studio hours, um, which means it's a home set up and it never comes without its problems. But but we're here now. Uh, and we're here to to talk about you, your family, your experience. Um, I tell you what, I was going to go to the old podcast cliche, tell me when you were born. Let's go to before you were born, um, you know, prior to your birth, uh, your nana, and, and Louise? Yeah, so Manny. Right. So yeah, my nana, so my mum's mum, had first sort of got cancer when she was 38 and sort of beat it, everything like that. And it then returned sort of a number of years later. Uh, she'd had her, her battle um, and unfortunately as cancer does, it had progressed. Mm. Fortunately, at the same time, my mum's little sister, Louise, had also, uh, she had a different form of cancer called, I think it's non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And it's a blood cancer. My mum had given her bone marrow and everything like that to try and sort of help her get better. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't work. So I 
came into the world and just a few months later my my mum's mum passed away um so she died at 47 of breast cancer so so young very very young which I think plays a lot into my decision about sort of what we're we're talking about and my mum's little sister died as well that year further further down the line in December and she was 21 so at the grand old age of 26 I've already outlived my auntie I've Mm. had five more years on on life than what she did that is just we'll we'll go on to talk about the relevance of me Mm. mentioning that running through the family and that type of thing um has has it been something uh, i hope you don't find this too no, probing or prodding no, definitely not so if i have your permission i will and if there's any questions you think i don't want to talk about that feel free to yeah tell that's me. fine has it has that been like something that has been like a cloud over the family or is it something that you just you've kind of over time quite stoically thought that's what it is and, and on we go i would say that it's definitely been a sort of a cloud over the family um completely given i think i think even if it was just one of them i think it would have been a cloud regardless but i think to lose two people from the same the same household in in a year is is massive and i mean we are talking sort of a good good few years ago now you know we're talking about 26 years ago but even then that's it's it's so significant and although their their cancers were different mm-hmm. going on to what we're talking about and, and the gene and things it looks very likely that that would have been sort of the, the contributing factor based on the cancers that are linked to to the gene that i've got mm-hmm. obviously they can't be tested it's it's too far and gone for that but given sort of the stance that we're at now it's it's quite likely that that was that was the reason is there a fear in like your your mum or, or other members of your family thinking is this a pattern is this going to come to me next so for my mum it, it definitely would have been I, I I remember growing up and being aware that that family had died but not not having any memory of them I mean when my nana died I was only three months old yeah. so you don't you know you can't remember much from from then at all and my nana eh, my auntie again was was less than a year so I don't I don't have any actual physical memory of them but I have such a a presence and awareness of them and who they were as people and and what they would have enjoyed in life it's just that they didn't get the chance to yeah do you feel like uh do you still feel a sense of loss even though they weren't a hundred percent i mean any family gathering you know it's always oh you know like we wish that you know we wish that they were there and even in our extended family um so like my nana's sort of brothers and sisters families they they feel the loss yeah. um that you know I, I think any family would i think again it's just unfortunate that it's been sort of that one household close knit that that that's been impacted in such a short time and i think i think everyone's worried about it but not not as much as we are because it was us that were you know yeah it was us that were hit with what we're gonna go on basically yeah yeah. we 
was it, was it then? Did it did come around for your mum? It did. Yeah. What, what type of type of tics I'm kind of keen to not keen that so, sounds I was going to say sorry so she no so I was going to say like I'm keen to hear and I'm like that sounds if you're a wee bit too excited to hear about a really traumatic thing but you know what I mean like it's, just to get a picture so again so I think growing up there's always been that that subconscious in my brain that's that's aware and ha- has been aware so growing up I remember you know every Every couple of years, you know, my mum would go for a mammogram, she'd get her boobs checked. Very, very normal thing. Only happens after you're 35 in, like, at-risk cases. It's usually around 40 if you don't have any history. So I remember we, us going, and, and she was eligible for that 35 screening because she'd had cancer in the family, yeah. I, your mum. So she was eligible for the early testing, early screening, and she'd had the mammogram in the January. Everything was fine. Nothing to worry about. Sort of sent her on her way. And then it was probably around about the middle of March. I remember she'd came into my room and she was like, can you, like, can you like, have a feel of this? Like, what, what do you think? And I was only around about 18 at the time. And I remember, I remember feeling it. And I was like, that, that doesn't feel good. Like, but how do you... You know, I, I remember sort of in my head, I'm like, oh, this really isn't good. But like, how do you say to your mum, like, you need, like, you need to go? Especially at the age of 18. So I was like, mum, like, you just gonna have to go to the doctor. So she went to the doctor, the doctor referred her to the breast clinic. So a couple of weeks later, we've went, usual sort of, pro, well, I say usual processes, but it probably feels more usual than than it would for, for someone else. And I suppose that's what, what makes this experience totally different in the position that I'm in. I've already got a bit of experience now. Yeah, so I, I remember what I, I remember us sitting in this waiting room and you know we were we were totally oblivious. Totally oblivious. Like there's a lump there, don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it could just be a bit of tissue. You, you have no idea. So the fact that it was quite big, I think was the biggest concern because usually, you know, Typically, you hear of, you know, cancer that's, you know, it's a small lump or anything like this. This was massive. Mm. And we've went in and the the, the surgeon and consultant sort of having a look at it. And they're like, no, I don't. There's there's something there, but it's quite free moving. You know, it's not fitting the the sort of the criteria as a, and I'll do that with the, you know, it's not, it doesn't fit it. So we think it's just a cyst. Mm-hmm. but you know we'll do our biopsies and everything like that we'll test it and we'll get you back in two weeks time so we've kind of been well you know actually doesn't it sound that bad yeah. you know he thinks it's a cyst you know so I think that that statement sent us into some massive sort, sort of, of false yeah. belief that that you know everything was going to be alright false sense of security almost and I just remember, and I, I, I still, it still haunts me. Even, even as I go back now for my own appointments, I, I, I sit there, and he, he sort of turns to my mum and dad. were sitting at, at his desk, and I was sitting at the seat, sort of over the other side of the room. And he was just like, "I'm, I'm really sorry that 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 I told you that it was a cyst, but you've actually got stage three aggressive breast cancer." Ugh. Mom and dad have just 
had their own little moment and I've just kind of sat there like oh shit <laughs> like yeah. it's totally not what we what we'd anticipated for what does that feel like in that moment what does that do you feel like the room is rushing 100 miles away for you like do you know, it was very surreal and I think sometimes it, it does still feel surreal like even talking about it now like I feel emotional and I I, I feel emotional more because it takes me back to, to everything that then happened as a result of that mm-hmm. so get be, I mean being told you've got cancer is awful and there, there, there is no there is no way for me to personally describe that because yeah. I've not I've I've not had that that statement said to me like I can imagine how unimaginable it is like and like I can't even comprehend how <laughs> you, you can, that must feel I don't think that you can ever you can try and put yourself in the situation but again and and, and it's something that I'll, I'll probably say a million other times throughout this is that you can try and prepare but you will never prepare for the reality mm-hmm. you will never I I spent probably quite a lot of time in that two weeks leading up to that appointment where where she was told that she had cancer being like right you know like worst case it'll be that but you know they're on the more positive side but then when that reality hit I was like oh shit I'm not prepared for this mm-hmm. I am not prepared for this and I mean, I, I probably wasn't. I mean, I was 18. I, I didn't, I didn't really under, I mean, I, even looking back now, I, I didn't understand life. Well, you, yeah. Like, <laughs> you've not long left school. You've maybe worked for a couple of years. You've not, you've you, never been in a position to understand just day-to-day life, like bills, responsibilities. It. And it's not until you then realise how much something like that changes, changes at all. Yeah. You're like, well, it's the same as oh. it's the same as as any other eighteen year old, and what I think you you kind of go through life, you get to that point, you start to become an adult, you're getting a sense of the world, and then it's just it's like a a stun gun to the neck, and it's like and it's like by the way, uh, just so you know, and and things not... your construct or your idea of what the world is, your life is, how everything looks, it completely mm. essentially it falls apart and has to be rebuilt, doesn't it? And, it's, and I think that's the thing because people. And, and 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 when I say people, I mean I mean me because before my mum had cancer, I I probably had the exact same attitude of, right, okay, you you have cancer, you get chemo, you get radio, you know, you're yeah. you're kind of you're kind of alright, you As know, if, you if, think, if, if if you're lucky, like that's if you think it's formulaic step one two three, yeah. when in actual fact it's very when, different. In reality, you get your diagnosis, you get whatever surgery is required whether that's a lumpectomy which is where they just remove the mass and a bit extra um just in case any cells have, have moved obviously mastectomy which is removal um of the breast or depending on the the nature of the cancer and i suppose quite a lot of other factors um as to whether they would remove both mm-hmm. um so you that's that that's one part of it you've then got your treatment so you've got your chemo your radio and everything like that but the impacts of chemo in the real world are more than you could ever imagine Mm. and quite quite recently you know we, we all experienced covid and and that was interesting because everyone was so oh 
hand sanitizer, masks, when in reality that that is a day to day life with someone that's going through chemo. Mm-hmm. Like my mum had because you're immunocompromised. Hand hand sanitizer constantly, constantly washing the house. Like at that point, I didn't drive. I was only eighteen. I didn't you know hadn't got that far. So it was public transport. So having to push her around in a wheelchair, like on and off buses. Buses can be quite disgusting places. Mm. Um, people can be, I've uh, carry germs every day. Yeah. So even something so simple as her getting out the house and maybe going around like the local shopping centre was potential for her to catch infection and end up in hospital requiring <laughs> like IV antibiotics. Mm. That's that's the severity. So then you start to feel quite restricted because you're like, I can go out, but I'm putting myself at risk. Yeah. And she was so ill. She was so ill. She was in and out at a hospital, just catching infections, just not just not coping well. And I think by by the end of the chemo, I mean she 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 was near enough a shadow of herself. Then radio, you know, you go through that process. Everybody again, everybody's different. Everybody reacts to to radio differently. And then the rebuilding, which is is a massive thing. You've got you've went through this, you know, your whole body has been injected with, with, with chemo and you've you've been hit with with radio and you then have to get yourself back in a position where you can walk down to the shops and feel fine and yeah. not be like, oh God, I'm absolutely knackered. There's such a big impact that that it has. And that's, and it doesn't just affect one person. It doesn't affect the person that's got cancer. Oh, that's so, well, it affects their family. It affects everyone that's around them. And that's why, again, part part of the, the decisions that I'm making are because I have also seen it firsthand and I just well, don't want to go there. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. So there's, because that physical and therefore emotional obliteration that, that takes place in somebody, it doesn't mm-hmm. just stick with them and what was the even like the family dynamic in your house does it upset the sort of balance or did it bring you closer because you're obviously you're all feeling stress and worry and sadness and it can probably go one or two ways I want to say it was a mix and again I think given that I mean I'm an only child so it's just me my mum and my dad and I think that (coughs) we all we all had our own our own little roles so my dad was the driver he was the one sort of to and from chemo, to and from radio, dealt dealt with all of that side of things. Whereas I was the like medication, the red book, um, which is just it's got all the information about your chemo, all the medication you're taking, and if you have any problems throughout the, the period of your chemo. They've got something slightly different to your NHS 24, but it's specific for cancer patients. Mm-hmm. And just when you call through to them, it's it's a lot more specific. I'd say by the time my mum had finished chemo, I didn't need the red book to look at anymore. <laughs> I I knew it all off by heart. I didn't need the red book. I'd have it there, but you just yeah you knew the you knew the questions they were going to ask. And I think that was I think us having our separate roles and and the situation really helped. He was the more sort of grounded keeping keeping things going so like doing the dinners taking her to the appointments like getting the shopping like doing all of that stuff 
Whereas I was doing the more like emotional, yeah. like medical, like that was. That is tough. I would say that was not to diminish the role of, of driver and transport is so important and it is completely vital. I would argue, no, I wouldn't argue. I would possibly observe, maybe hypothesize that that emotional labor and ter- it is far more demanding or heavy a burden to have. Do you know what? And I was going to ask, what words would you have for somebody? But I tell you what, I'll ask you the question and people, there may be somebody who unfortunately is, is in a similar situation mm-hmm. to what you were and maybe are, and they can take comfort or strength maybe for this advice. So first of all, how did you ever, because you need to switch off, you know, know that way it's like, if you want to help pour into someone else's cup, yours has to be a bit fuller. How did you recharge? How did you refuel to keep yourself emotionally viable and emotionally available for your mum? I think that having a good support group is is key. And Does that include like distractions like food or pictures or a night out? Or... Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I think, again, I was 18. I, I, definitely, I, I definitely still went on nights out. I'm not you know, I, I didn't, I didn't sacrifice all of, all of my life. And I, I, I was either still going to college or I was still working. So those were, those were like the day-to-day distractions. You've got, you're keeping in a routine and you're sort of supporting when you're home, which wasn't as bad because you were shutting off. You, you, know, you need that, don't you? You were leaving the house in the morning, had your, had your routine you get up get ready go to work come back right what needs done plug in and plug out kind of yeah and even now uh, and I think throughout my whole life even regardless of when my mum had cancer or not I, I always had I've always had the freedom to to switch off and to just do my own thing whether that's just going to sit in my room and do my own thing or whether that's me just sitting in their company and just doing my yeah. own thing. I don't, there was never, there was never extensive pressure. I think the worst pressure that we probably went through while she had cancer was was trying to move house. And that's only, stressful at the best of health, never mind when you're unwell. Yeah, and, and, and the only reason, reason for that was we'd, She'd been trying to get a, a a ground floor house for for sort of some other conditions that that she had prior to having cancer, and just waiting lists are you know waiting lists are waiting lists they seem to go on forever, and eventually she she'd been offered a ground floor house but we'd only been given like a very short period of time to move in mm-hmm. I think it was like less than a week. Good. And um, I obviously kicked up a fuss. <laughs> course uh, and said like that's not enough time you know she's going she's going through chemo how how did your mom can i get on i mean i feel like it would be physically taxing and anybody but did she keep a um did she find it difficult or did, did were you like sort of invaluable to her and kind of getting like, her through i feel like physically she got through it and or sort of after after she had cancer and stuff and she she'd sort of went into recovery. She they say well, I say recovery, it's more they call it remission. You're never you're never given the all clear. Yeah. Right? Because they can never they can never say that the cells definitely haven't gone anywhere else. Um so they they, they, they call it remission. Um she started going to the gym every day. She was sort of building herself up. She had a PT just to work on just her basic strength. She 
she got to a point where she she struggled to like pull herself up to to, to do the basic things that you, you take for granted every day like getting up off the couch got quite difficult because our body had been so mm-hmm. through the wars and I think that had she not gone through all of that I think that she she would she would have still been like a shadow of herself because she wouldn't have had that ability to, to just get up and, and, and go and do something. Yeah. She didn't have the energy. She didn't have that. Understand. She didn't have the strength. What point are we at now? Like, are we at the sort of end point? She had went through chemo, radio and everything like that. Um, I think she was given the all clear or sort of put into the mission around about. She was diagnosed in about the April. So I think it would have been about the following year. She'd sort of been given the, the sort of the clear. She goes for regular checkups, still gets her mammograms and everything like that. Obviously now I think, given sort of a slight change to our circumstances, um, I don't know what that's a, what support my mum will get from that point and mm-hmm. how that'll change because there's more things that we need to be a bit more aware of. Only really time will tell. But as it stands, she she's been all good. It was her fiftieth birthday last week. So What's your mum's name? Wendy. Wendy, so. happy birthday, happy 50th, and congratulations on hopefully what is your continued good health. So we get to lockdown. Talk to me about your mum's gene test. This is something that I have kind of heard about before, but then I was like, have I heard of that? Is that a false memory? Like, what is it? So a gene test, so she had a gene test when she had cancer, and it's essentially there is a number of gene mutations that can increase your chance of cancer or increase your risk of cancer. And when she was tested at the time that she had cancer, it came back that there was there was no genes there and that, you know, not not that our, there was no specific reason or anything relating to why she, she, she got the cancer that she did. So we'd went a good number of years um, just... Okay, it just happened as a bad bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> what what else do you, you you class it as? And she got a letter in the post, and they were saying that they were testing for new genes, and um, if she wanted to, if if they could test her her sample, uh, to see if she she had any of these new ones. So she agreed because. I suppose, I mean, why would you not? If they've already got the sample, you're yeah. not really putting yourself at another blood test. You know, it, it could have, you know, it could it could solve the, the question. So waited and she got a letter and it said that she had this, this gene. And we were like, okay, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah. And because I think it had been so long since my mum had actually had cancer, and to then her finding out about the gene, it was very much, well, what does, where where do we go for it? Do we need to do anything? Is yeah, it just watch, more watch, a, what should I do with this information? Is it, do I just sit on this? Do <laughs> yeah. I need to act on this? What What is this? Thumbs up, thanks for letting us know. Like, mm, so I remember sort of speaking to her and I, I said to like the woman from the genetics clinic, I went, so what, what does this actually mean for my mum? Like, is she, is she more at risk? Is that, like, is that why she got cancer the first time? What, what does that mean for me? And she sort of answered all of the questions of, you know, 
there is a very good chance that, that our cancer was linked to to the fact that she's got this gene um and that it's more for us in the long term it's just sort of keeping an eye obviously if you find something you know go and get it checked yeah and you know see see what happens um so when it came to me she said well given the fact that that your mum's got this gene you you can be tested and we were in the midst of lockdown you know lockdown had us all sort of feeling a bit not ourselves we were all cooped up we were all and I think and I think more looking back on reflection I think deep down I probably had a feeling can't you can't say that you you have a feeling but I think I just knew that I probably just didn't really want to know the result because Mm. it was going to be what the result was so I just kind of put it off I was like "Ah, lockdown COVID no we don't yeah. do I bother the NHS? It's not, it's not as yes. Yeah, NHS is stressed. I, I I don't I don't need to know. I don't I don't feel the the urge to know. So I put it off, and I I done well. I done really well. I got to. I think I I got my results in October twenty twenty one, but I think I went for my test sort of the month prior to that. So I'd say maybe about July August twenty twenty one. My mom was like so. When are you? I was like, I don't know. She was like, you know, are you, are you going to get tested? And I was like, I do. Like, I want to get the test. I just, I didn't see the point in having it at that point. Yeah, I, I, I get that though. Look, it's opening a door <clears throat> of which an answer that lies behind it that you might not want to get. And if you can keep that door closed, you're keeping a whole Pandora's box of issues closed for a time. Although it's not, I wouldn't endorse yeah. doing that, but I get it. It's, and do you know, it, part of it is that, and part of it is that I also had quite a big, a big decision that, that was put on me that probably shouldn't have been. And I, I get why the NHS have got the guidelines that they do. I, I, I do, I get it. But for me in that moment, it was very much, well, you, you're putting me in a, you're putting me in a corner. Like I, I, I need Nobody to know Nobody put Zoe in the corner. Definitely not. It's, it was basically that if I was to have the test and I didn't have the gene, yeah. I would lose my right to the early screening from mm. 35. Because I didn't have the gene, there would be no reason that I would, other than okay. the national yeah. statistic that On I would paper, get cancer. Yeah. I could not have the gene test <laughs> and keep my early test in. Or have the gene test, and in the likelihood that I don't have the gene, which is brilliant, I would lose my right to early testing. That is a catch twenty two and a half, especially your family history. <clears throat> and you're thinking, if I don't have this gene, but the likelihood is it's still going to come. That is proper rock and a hard it's, place. Because again, we, I, I can't, I can't prove the hospital can't prove that what Marana and Louise died of were definitely related to our gene. They can't. Yeah. It, it's not possible. But having the knowledge that I've got seeing what I've seen yeah I was I was very much in a rock and a hard place if I don't know what what decision to go for so I bit the bullet and I went I'll just do the I'll just do the test if I don't have it I'm just I'll I'll figure something out yeah like I'll figure something out whether I have to just keep pesting in my GP and say I know I don't have any genes but I still want my early test in I feel like I've got a right to it Given my family history. Absolutely, yeah, undeniably. So here I was, 
not even had the gene test yet and I'm already trying to prepare for like every every single situation or scenario that that was about to be sort of placed on my lap and I know that not everybody will see it like that I know that a lot of people will will be faced with that decision and be very torn up of well actually what does it mean in the short term I went straight to long term what are what what is how is this going to impact me I might feel shit now but I'm going to feel a lot worse in the future if I don't if I don't know. We'll we'll come to this in a wee bit, but that's very um, it's like the antithesis of the modern culture that we live in, which is instant gratification or instant pleasing. And by I am also somebody who's susceptible to that way of thinking. And I think it shows a great deal of maturity for you to go, yeah, to basically the opposite of what has become a very prevalent social construct or maybe not a universal way of thinking let's say where everybody's thinking I want it here and now um or, or what's happening yeah. in the here and now and um, I think and I think a lot of that was I feel like even even just in life in general and it, and it sounds really corny and people always say oh you, you you speak in cliches because I'm always like oh like life's too short you know it's true though realistically it's you know sometimes I don't feel like I'm living for just me like sometimes I do feel like I'm living for Louise and my nana I've got the choices and the opportunities that they've never that they never had that's a really lovely way of looking at things you know I, I, it's something like if anybody say close to me loses somebody and it's one very gentle point I try and make I always say the best tribute you can give to the people that have were in your life and yeah. are sadly now not here, the best thing you can do in their memory is to squeeze every moment out of life and every bit of fun that you can. And it really is. So when people, because I'm kind of going away, way off here now, but no, it's something but I like it's... to do. But like, so I remember a pal saying to me, he was like, I just kind of feel, if I laugh, he's like, I feel instant guilt. Like I shouldn't be laughing. I'm like, I understand because you're human and you're, a very empathetic person and you're thinking of others and you mm. you think of that and I'm like, but I can guarantee you if you could, you know, put a mic to their mouths wherever they are and be like, what was the one thing you'd want them to do? And they would say, I want you to laugh more. I want you to go out. I want you to go and enjoy yourself. I want you to squeeze every bit that you can. And I think that is a that is a really lovely way to look at it. And that is the, the best tribute you could give to them. If you, even... Even things with Louise, I mean, I, I'd found or my mum had given me sort of Louise's diary not long after sort of my gene test. And there's actually a bit in it, um, which would have been probably a good couple of months before she died. And she she's basically sort of begging in her diary that she wants to live. Yeah. And I think back to what I was doing when I was 21. And believe me, I was not writing in my diary that I wanted to live. No. Because I was dying. I was out having fun with my friends, probably getting up to God knows what and and actually having a good laugh and making memories. She was in a position where she was having to carry around an oxygen tank. And and just it's it's a very flip sided way of looking at it. And I think that I've definitely had opportunities and I've made memories that that they'll never that they'll never have made. And that I suppose gives me that little bit of satisfaction that I might not might not be living life to the fullest, but I'm still I'm still living life. And as much as you can. Literally. <laughs> we I mean, have we even touched I'm sorry, have we touched on that? Like so it I mean what happens so it comes in when the what the results come? So 
she so when I when I had my test, she said, How do you how do you want the results? I feel that like just text will be fine. She was like, Do you want a letter? Do you want like a phone call? Like how do you want do you, do you want an appointment to come in? Either way, you're like, like, you know, when you see one happening, if you're like, like, I know what the answer's gonna be. So I went, mean, just phone me. <laughs> just phone me. Hi, so, have you got a minute? <laughs> So she phoned me. I, I mean, I hope you're sitting. <laughs> she said it was. She said it would be maybe, maybe about sort of four to six weeks for the result. Which four to six weeks, to be honest, isn't actually that that long a time. No. Um, but I remember it was late. I had a Domino's had just been delivered, and I just bit into the first slice. And when you have Domino's pizza, and the first the first slice is is the one. Yeah. But into the first slice, my phone started going, what's that? <laughs> like, I don't recognise the number, but it was also about like quarter past six on like a weeknight. And I was like... You think you've won the cash register or something like that? It's phoning me. I'm like, hello? And I, I recognised her voice because I've, I've spoken to her over a few times over the last sort of few years. And I was like, okay. I was like, right. And she's like, we've got, you know, we've got your result. And I was like, okay. And she's like, it's not, it's not, you know, the, the result that we were looking for. And instantly it was very much like fucking, I, I knew, I don't know why. There was just something inside me that her saying, yeah, like you've got the gene was very much like, it all makes sense. Did you, did you feel you were equipped to deal with it a bit more? Cause it wasn't all completely new or did it still hit you like a ton of bricks? I mean, I held it together. I had the phone call with her, you know, I was, I was totally fine. If I was sitting in a public in a public space mm-hmm. and I had taken that phone call, anyone looking at me would think I was just on the phone to somebody, and it was just you know like maybe your granny asking what you, you what you got up to that night. And I just kind of I got off the phone and I just kind of sort of was like sitting, just kind of letting it process. And then it was when I went to bite back into my dominoes, I just burst out crying. No wonder. And it wasn't it wasn't that. I'd just been told that that I've got this gene and I already sort of knew what the repercussions of having the gene were. So how the fuck was I going to tell my mum? I thought you were going to say because you were gutted your pizza was no. ruined. <laughs> no, like I, I genuinely, I, I didn't know how to tell my mum because my mum was so worried that, that essentially she'd given me this gene. Yeah. It's inherited. It's, it's 50-50. And... I didn't. I I wasn't prepared. I didn't. I didn't know how to tell her. Yeah. I, in my head, I, I was going to be like, "Oh, you know, I'm fine." I wasn't fine. <laughs> I was you, like, you I worried don't... that you were going to set her off in a sort of emotional spiral. You know, I, out of everyone that I've spoken to on this journey, family, not family, you know, people that people that don't really know me that well, and and just kind of getting their insight on it. Almost, I think every person that I've spoken to has said that that as a parent, which again is something that I can't relate to, but as a parent, you feel you feel responsible for what happens to your child, mm-hmm. regardless of what it is. You feel responsible, and that's something that will never change. So that I just kind of had to accept that. I just had to accept that my mum was not going to be, you know, she, she wasn't going to be jumping for joy and over the moon. You know, there's there's a lot of implications that come with having a gene, but, you know, we, we will get to. But it was, I think for me, I was literally just about to tell my mum that her worst fears have now been confirmed. Yeah. That, you know, it didn't stop at her. It, it It's now, it's now at me. 
And what, you know, what do, what do we do with that? I've, I mean, I, I, I stopped crying. I, I, I kind of pulled myself together. And I was finish like, your I've, pizza? I've got, I, I was just, I was going to say that I finished my domino as well. Right, I, I think I ate half of it. I think I had the rest for breakfast. Oh, and legend. Love that shit. Can't, can't beat it. And I remember just sort of sitting there and I'm like, I can't tell her tonight. I can't, I don't want to tell her on the phone. I need, like, I need to, I need to go and see her and I need to, you know, I need to have this conversation with her. But I didn't know the conversation that I was going to have. I didn't know how I was going to start it. Didn't know how I was I was going to tell her. Because I knew how, I already knew how she was going to react. I knew that she was going to get upset. She was going to be going straight to the worst case scenario. And her emotions would have just taken over. And, oh, I was at, I think that that was probably the hardest thing. Not any of the decisions that I've that I've made to this day have been as hard as what it was to tell my mum. And you know what? Hats off because I phoned McMillan that night. So obviously McMillan Cancer Support is a charity that, that offers support to to anyone, family, friends, any anyone that's that's sort of got anything going on with cancer. Can you just to interject a wee bit, can you sort of just open up and elaborate lab, excuse me elaborate a wee bit on that just where people can find it what yeah. they offer because there might be something you're listening and think I, I want that <clears throat> so McMillan Cancer Support you can find them on sort of Google their their number they've got lots of website help there's McMillan nurses I think in some hospitals and stuff now um, obviously I live in Edinburgh so there's so there's a, an individual first thank you <laughs> Uh, there's a there's an individual charity um, which I, I I don't mind touching on more at the end um, called Maggie's that that do some really good oh, work. Oh yeah, amazing. Um, but McMillan essentially are like a a sort of more national cancer support sort of helpline. They've got specialist cancer nurses. They they you know they can do things with benefits. The the work that they do is amazing. It's I I remember using them when my mum had cancer. Again, I was I was eighteen. I, I didn't know what on what on earth I was getting into yeah. so I'd, I'd called I'd spoke to them I said I, I, I don't know where my head's at and and they were brilliant and I spoke to this woman and she was lovely and I just said to you know I've just you know I've, I've literally just found out that I've I've got a cancer gene and I now need to tell my mom and I, I don't I don't know how to tell her and the woman was just kind of like, right, okay, don't don't worry about it. And sort of just talk me through and calm me down. Because at this point, I was like, I think it was the thought of the conversation with my mum. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. And she she sent me over some an email with, it was it was just like a PDF of a handbook or a handbook, guidance book. Yeah. I, I don't know what you would call it. I call it a handbook. It was, that there there wasn't a section, you know, specifically for, for telling someone about a cancer gene. And... I suppose at this point it's it's probably worth noting the the differences between obviously cancer and a cancer gene. That cancer is when there's sort of active cancer cells in your body that sort of mutate together and, and cause cancer. Yeah. And a cancer gene is uh, a gene that, that everybody has, but the 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 reason that, that mine's isn't or anyone with a cancer gene isn't good is because it's mutated and it's that mutation that then causes you know the extra risk to the cancer. So with sort of having the cancer gene, there's not a specific section in the book. So it was just the how to have a conversation with someone and how you tell someone that you've got cancer. Right. So then that was sort of the second revelation of the night because 
And I realised that not only did I really have to have this conversation with my mum, I had to probably have it with like a few other members of my family, you know, a couple of people that were close to me. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do this. Like, That is a tough, tough ask. And it's not, I think, and again, Telling telling someone that you've actually got cancer is is definitely a lot a, a lot worse and a lot more significant. But at the same time, telling them that you've got a gene and that you're you know at some point in your life you're you know you're you're, you're probably going to get cancer. You feel like you're telling them that you've just been given a death sentence and that you know you're you're here but you might not be. Yeah, and, totally. I completely get that because if somebody said that to me, the first thing you think is, all right, well you've got an expiry date. I don't mean that in a, a crass way, but that is your your mind immediately goes right. So we're on a timer. We're on a countdown. And not funnily, necessarily the case. And and funnily enough, that 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 is very much the case. I mean, and oh, is it? Is well, not not on a timer, but I mean. There are certain aspects of having a gene that do put you on a timer. Right. And again, we'll we'll talk more about sort of my specific surgery, but certain genes and, and not again, not just specific to mine, but to other ones that there, there can be complications when it comes to like ovarian cancer and sort of cancer in the womb. And usually sort of things like hysterectomies, et cetera, sort of take place around about the age of 35. Right. So as much as you might not have a time limit on death, you do kind of have a bit of a time limit on family if you right, okay i get you because you even in my position you know i've got i've got about nine years if if they decide that they want to do a hysterectomy for me when i'm about 35 so nine years to decide where mm-hmm. where my head's at with that which is it's not it's not on the cards but it's it's something that's very real yeah and it's very you know you could be you could be 32 33 and finding out that you've got a cancer gene and that the cancer gene you've got is potentially linked to to ovarian cancer and you've not had any kids yet you're then potentially on a timer yeah to if if it's something if it's something that matters to you and something that that you want to do then then you are on a timer again that's that's something that not a lot of people will will probably correlate with with the gene although although you don't have an expiry date or, or you know you're not you're not going to die before a certain age or anything like that there is there is life milestones that do kind of get rushed along or have a time limit on how do you move on from that and yeah. how how can you plan and that is not the type of thing that you do plan it happens kind of you know organically yeah. through life you don't meet somebody and you go right hi yeah great i've really enjoyed our first date by the way just Hands to show off, you my, yeah baby making let's yeah, go just to show you my cat i was going to you, you just got kind of straight to it i was going to say that you were going to negotiate some sort of time frame but you just I, I sort of assert it and that's it it's not even again it's not even just the the time limit again Every every gene's different, and every person that, that has a gene mutation will be different. But and I don't know the specifics for me, but based on sort of what I've read, because I've not had specific conversations about having kids or anything. But if I was to have a child, my child also has the chance of yeah getting the gene. That's a whole other dilemma. So then you you, you get hit with this moral dilemma of oh, yeah continuing on, and you know again it's fifty fifty. It's the flip of a coin. You know you either could or you couldn't. But in my head, morally, and having grew up with what I've seen, for me, I would feel like I was setting my child up for that. My my mum didn't know. My mum didn't know about the gene. Again, I mean, I'm here now. It's can't can't get a refund on me. I'm here. But 
they didn't have the information, so they made the decision. Speaking, I have the information. Yeah, speaking as an observer, an impartial observer who hasn't had to endure the emotional turmoil, the one thing I would say, and this isn't to diminish the argument against, because it's very credible, it's, it has a lot of weight to it, but I would say in a sentence that your family's lives and the lives of everybody that know you will have been enriched beyond measure to the point where, yes, unfortunately, right, it's you who has to carry the weight of that burden, but they're like, no, 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 we wouldn't swap you for anything. And I would, I would dare say that you, to all your family, or to your mum and your dad, you'd be like, I wouldn't swap you for the world. No. And they're in it. It is a very complex and dilemma. But it's, and it's and it's one of those where I've got the I've got the knowledge and I've got the chance or the choice or the the decision. Pause I actually, I actually, I, I possess that power to to make a fully informed decision. That yeah. if I was to have a child, you know what what would what would that look like? You know Probably what are what are two the arms, chances? Two legs, and, head. <laughs> oh, you mean what would look like it? Okay. In terms of in terms <laughs> of like the gene, what 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 risks they would potentially be yeah. at? And it is very complex, complex dilemma. It's and again, it's it's not something. Again, it's not something that I've I've done too much research into or have really thought too much about it's more one of the things that are in the background of you know i've got the hurdle that i've got coming up and the the sort of the, the challenges that that'll that'll sort of be faced yeah but it's not over so as much as what i'm about to sort of go through over the potentially the next few months yeah. i can i can close that book and i can close that chapter and i can move on and deal with that but at some point, I'm going to have to cross the other bridge of what we've just kind of touched yeah. on now so there's a, there's an element that you can move past it and you can move on from it and kind of deal with it when it comes. But at some point it is going to come and it is going to have to be dealt with because it's not something that you can kind of brush under the carpet given, yeah. given I mean, the status of the gene. It's so much to deal with and it's so much to think about and you need something to alleviate that 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 mental taxation that you're going through and through that is whether it's distraction or sort of something that's meditative in any which way, whether it's going on a night out or whatever. But one thing I'm keen to hear about and I want to hear the answer might be none, but what um how much of a, a role does humor play in and sort of just eat removing that weight? I and and I would also like to say dark humor welcome. I'd imagine dark humor is pretty prominent. It is, <coughs> and all all of my friends constantly say to me, you know, I, and again, given given what what I'm going to be going through and stuff, we 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 take the piss out of it all the time, and I'm probably the worst. It removes the venom of the issue, doesn't it? I, a wee bit? It removes the sting. I am probably the worst for it. Most of the time, it is kind of jokes around about. You know, like, oh, I'll never have stiff nips again. And like, <laughs> I can't wait for the wet t-shirt contests. Like things, things like that. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not too dark. They're not too dark humored, but they're very, they're very light touch. For me, it, it's it's just funny. I, I've never, I've never known people to have such strong opinions or I suppose, feelings towards nipples in my entire life. I didn't realise that they were so important until I started this process. So nor, nor did I. It's 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 crazy. I don't know. I don't know why they're so important to people. See see on the humor element, there's um and I'll never, ever, ever as long as I live have a conversation on this subject without mentioning them. So uh guy James Austin, sadly no longer with us. And uh 
he had very aggressive uh, glioblastoma, which is the most aggressive form of brain cancer. And yeah, he sadly died last year, not long after I interviewed him for a documentary. And uh, his humour was pitch black, and he was a funny, funny guy. Cut you down to size, like sharp as anything. Um, I said to him, we were discussing the these clinical trials that had taken place in Madrid with this mm. doctor called, I think she's Dr. Cristina Sanchez, Madrid University. She was studying the effect of um, this cannabis oil on lab rats and what it would do to tumours. And I was like, I could genetically, or I think DNA-wise, I said, Can I, I don't know if I might be wrong. I was like, but I think um, rats have got a very similar DNA to humans. And he's like, who are you calling a fucking rat, mate? <laughs> and then it kind of like, injection of humour and the whole point of this is he called it his tumour humour he said that's yes. how you get through it when it's my tumour humour and it was that was his way it's like a pressure release valve and what a guy what a, a, a sorry I have a special guy with an amazing family just incredible to be able to go through something like that with, with such humour <laughs> to make me laugh while I'm sitting interviewing him in tears well fighting tears and he's making me laugh and making me feel better and I think that that Again, I, I've met and I've known so many people that have had cancer and I don't know, I think that there's something, I think there's something about sort of being told, you know, that, you know, you've got cancer and a lot of times when people hear cancer, you know, they automatically think, you know, you're going to die or, and I think because of that connotation that, that people have with, with cancer and the, how they link it. I think when someone has cancer, they get to the they they have that same that same mentality. Well, you know, like I might I might die, yeah, like or I will die. And I think that it's at that point that I give a fuck switch, kind of just get switched off, and they go, I, I just don't care anymore. Who yeah. who's going to tell me that I can't do it? I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be here for much longer mm. because that would be the attitude that I would have. Yeah, I would be like, well, you know, I've I've lived however long. Nobody, nobody in that entire time has told me what I can and can't do. Mm. Nobody's going to tell me now because now you know yeah. it's 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 a very different it's a very different humor. And I think that anyone who anyone who has met or you know lived or known anyone that that's had cancer, I think will have experienced something very similar to that. that yeah, I think if you need to shoulder that burden, you will you'll bloody well. Go through it, whoever you yeah. choose, like, <laughs> however, whatever makes it sort of easier for you to process. It's it's the support, and I think it's about having having someone that's receptive to that as well. You know, yeah. making jokes like that, and you the them them going with it, and 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 actually laughing, and and, and yeah. taking it on the chin, as opposed to you know standing me like, oh god, I can't like, I, oh, he, like you know like this person, you know this person's really not well, and they're making jokes like that. Like I can't laugh. They're probably making that joke because it makes them feel a little bit better. It's giving them a little bit of a, a chuckle because yeah, it's, it's a pressure, final you know memories memories final. It'll be the one thing that they'll remember. Oh, yeah. I remember that joke that he made mm. that time. Yeah, with them. Um, the next thing I was going to ask you, right? So because basically you have the 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 news of the the gene test, and then you have to take action. Is is preventative <clears throat> surgery just the one and only course of action? for you so and again this is this is where again you, you sort of have the moral dilemmas of you've got this information do you want to do anything or do you not 
And I remember just before agreeing to to go in for the the blood gene test and sort of being told about the losing right to early access and stuff. And I, I'd, I'd kind of already said to her that, and this was before my result, and I, I said to her, you know, if I've got the gene, I, I, I don't want my boobs anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want them. I have no attachment to my boobs. And I, I know that, that that's not the same for everybody, but for me... I think because I've I've spent a lot of my life being so aware of cancer and, and being aware of checking and again I've I've had a scare before. So I think that having going gone through all of that, the thought of waiting for the inevitable, yeah. you know, I feel a little bit like a ticking time bomb. Because you, honestly, you don't, just took the words. I was thinking in my head, ticking time bomb. You just you you do feel a little bit like a ticking time bomb because you're yeah. like, okay, so I've got this gene. It could hit at some point. It might never hit. There it has could, been a history of it in the family. It would, and again, the, yeah. the family history. You're, you're like, okay, well, that's. It, it's just, it's a lot to factor in. And for me, me not having my boobs removes that risk. Do you know this is probably a good opportunity for me to ask you a, a couple of questions as well. Yep. Prevention is obviously the very, very best method. I would say, unless I'm mistaken, the second best after that would be early detection now you mentioned that your mum um asked you to to have a sort of feel of this this is awkward for me as a guy right sitting across my young woman as well for something that is is alien to me but also i think it is far more valuable to be like right i'll take the red face which i will have uh and we'll forget i'll, I'll shoulder the embarrassment that i'm going to feel because it's important let's talk about checking yourself I mean, you, you talk me through that. What is it? How do you do it? How often should people so, do it? What are you looking for? There's there's lots of there's lots of great guidance, and I think over the years that that you, breast cancer has became sort of more of the forefront of of campaigns. You know, October's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. There is a lot of things that happen during October that that sort of push out the awareness of that. Yeah, breast cancer now as a charity. Um, there you know, there's there's so many. Uh, copper feel um they are they're all they're all sort of aimed at sort of letting you have the knowledge on how to check so the best advice actually that i can give to anyone is know your own boobs yeah know your own boobs how my boob feels is completely different to how my best friend's boob feels the the construct of, of every boob is different the the texture the everything behind the scenes is different the there is no boob the same. Yeah. Very, very, very few women have two boobs the same size. Never mind two boobs that feel the same. Seriously? So make sure sense. you know how how it should feel. What is normal for you? Yeah. Also, when you're on your period, your boobs change. So know what is normal when you're on your period Aye. or when your periods come in. Because that can also I suppose would would cause you some concern if something changed. You'd be like, "Oh my god!" And it could then just be that, ah, right. that you're you know you're on your time of the month. A lot of women will get sore boobs when they're on their period. Um, to be fair, their their whole bodies are sore. Periods are awful. Yeah, um, women have got a raw deal, but man. it's 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 definitely worth knowing the difference between the two. Yeah. Um, knowing again what your nipple looks like, what when when it's when it's normal uh looking obviously for dimpling in terms of the specific criteria on what to look out for 
I, I cannot tell you off the top of my head. It's more so good information, though. Dimpling, you know, any lumps, bumps, anything that doesn't feel right. If there's any tenderness, anything sort of coming from the nipples, um, yeah, just See, have a little look. I'm glad you said. I'm glad I asked that, but I'm glad you said that about check yourself or so. I always thought, right, check yourself, see if there's anything there, like for a for a man, mm-hmm. and you're like, well. How the fuck do I know? Because like, you'd feel it and go, oh well, and then I always thought you could miss something, but there you go. You do it constantly and then you, then you can detect so, any changes. And I think for me, and again, I, I know that how I've how I've conducted my, my check-in over the years has probably became slightly more obsessive than anything else because in my head, if I didn't check, I'm like, oh, I haven't checked. And it, it, I would start to sort of guilt trip myself a little bit because... Again, I, I, because I'd had a scare before that it, it turned out to be nothing, but that just that whole process that that deja vu of my mum, that yeah. actually going through and sitting in that waiting room myself, thinking that I've got something going on, it was just very much like, nope, don't want it. Again, it's about knowing what is is normal for your boobs. At the time that I'd found that lump, I'd lost quite a lot of weight. That lump had probably always been there, but because when I lost weight, I had totally lost my boobs. Right. I had then felt that bump and I was like, oh, that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Fat, being there the whole time. It was just, your bo- even your body weight changes can yeah. can undercover things. It's just about knowing when, when you need to go and get it checked. If you find something that's not normal for you, then go to your doctor. Same for guys, you know. Don't fuck about, man, if you're embarrassed. When you're in the shower. That was, to be fair, that that was when I used to check. You know, you're already naked. You're in the shower. You're washing yourself. It is the perfect time to do it. Yeah, totally. You know Uh, what you're sort of looking for. Once you're, you're already there. Once you're done, that's you. Check again. Job done. Like a week. By the way, I'm I'm not preaching to anybody saying don't be embarrassed. I'm saying that because when I listen back to this, I'm telling myself because I'm I'm a prime candidate for that. I'd be like, oh, (laughs) that's a fucking ready. Like, but again, I'd rather have a ready for an hour or it's, ten minutes than and not have any major medical issues. I think even for even for guys, and again, it's something that because I think cancer's been around in my life years ago and in sort of previous work lives, I'd, I've I've been involved with sort of little not workshops but just little stalls talking about cancer and and just encouraging people to have sort of those conversations. And I remember they had. The, the the little rubber set of boobs and a little rubber set of balls when they like to, to get people to feel it. Do you to the look same for... person keep walking by asking for a shot? And... <laughs> to be fair, like, it would not have surprised me. In out the disguise every time. No, that's definitely and... the same guy. <laughs> and do you know what? The fact that they've got them is great, but yeah. they aren't very realistic. Yeah. And but just actually to even the, the woman that was there was was amazing. And she was saying to the guys, you know, like, don't get embarrassed. And she's, bless her, she, she just, she's obviously past it that she just doesn't care. And oh, aye, aye. I, I feel like you'll get the second-hand embarrassment of this if you put yourself in the situation of this This woman standing here, you know, she's maybe, like, could be like your mum. Could be your mum standing some there. People, that does it for some she's, people, you know. She's, she's holding the set of like rubber balls. <laughs> and she's like, right, you just rub it this way and this is how you feel for it and... You could just see some of the boys being like, fuck doing that. It's, do you know what? I, I, again, it's it's knowing your own body, but realistically, and the way that I've always looked at it is, would you rather, if you found something, would you rather sit on it, do nothing, and, and it could be worst case scenario, 
Or would you rather go to the doctor and find out and 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 save yourself that mental worry? Yeah, because it's the mental worry and the mental burden that will drag you down. Totally, you could get there, and the doctor could go, "It's nothing but good on you for coming," and then you think, "Right, good, I feel my mind's at ease now." Yeah. Um. So let's say going for surgery, it's pronounced mastectomy, Mm -hmm. which is the removal of the breast. Yep. You're going to go for both of that. What What then happens after that? in terms of reconstruction if there is any there's various different types of reconstruction and it's it's all based on you know a person every person is different so the three the three sort of options that i was given were implant reconstruction the f-flap and the diet what does that mean I don't know. I don't know what the breakdown is, but I'll talk through each of them. So the implants are so essentially. I suppose I should maybe talk about the the mastectomy itself. So with the mastectomy, they obviously remove all the breast tissue, sort of lymph nodes from sort of surrounding areas underneath your arms. I'm not sure if they. I don't think they remove sort of any of the muscle from the area. I think it's mostly just tissue. Um, all the sort of behind the scenes from sort of your nipple. In some cases, and I don't, I, I don't want to. I also don't want to give the hope that you know that there is the chance that if someone who has listened to this is going through the surgery, that you can keep your nipples. But in some cases, there is the option where you can keep your own nipple. I've opted not to. Um, is that does that decrease your risk even further if you do that? Have that removal? Yeah. Right. So if you keep your nipple, you are not reducing the risk as much. Um, the it sounds a bit disgusting. Oh, so rubbish, yeah, anyway. so cover, Get so rid. cover, cover your your ears if you're not a big fan. But essentially, I think they, I think they actually cut it off and then scrape everything from behind it, oh, and then put it back on. And that for me, I don't want it. <laughs> Have yeah. it, take it. I, I yeah. do not want it. Yeah. And again. Nipples are irrelevant. I, I know that in the future, if I have children, like I will never be able to breastfeed. I will no longer have any of the capabilities for that, regardless of whether I kept my nipple or not. Right, okay. So I, it just, for me, I would rather reduce the risk as much as possible. Yeah. Because that that's that's the point of this at the end of the day, is mm-hmm. to, to not have to go through what my mum went through, to go through what my nana went through. The whole point is that, I don't have to go through that. So again, they'll they'll sort of remove everything from the area, and then with the implants, I don't know whether I I don't know whether the surgeon just makes the decision of whether it goes over or under the muscle. Um, again, I think every person's different, and every every implant reconstruction will also be different depending on whether they need expanders or not. Um, so expanders are like temporary implants that sort of go into place that will over time be filled up with, with sterile water to stretch the skin in right. the area. And then at one point they'll be sort of swapped out for your actual implants and then that'll be you. Right, okay. Um, again, it just depends. If you've got enough tissue there, they might not need to do that. If you are, you know, if you're very small, if you're very small chested, they maybe don't have the the, the capability to, to hold an implant because if you... If you imagine that that you're removing sort of the the area away from the nipple, you're already losing skin. You're already losing sort of skin space. So you're then trying to fit a foreign object in that area. And they need to they need to do a bit of work to make it fit. And that's right. kind of where the expanders come in. So again, once you get your implants in, the chances are, I mean, given my age, they'll probably need to be changed at some point before before I die. Um 
But again, the the implants are a little are, is the least invasive option. Um, right. Which again, it doesn't sound the least invasive given no, you know the extent sure. of the other surgery. But in in comparison to the other two options, is definitely the least invasive. The F flap. Um, I think it gets called other names, but they, they said F-flap to me, so that's the one that I'm sticking with, is where they take a muscle from sort of your back underneath, I want to say, underneath sort of your arm, but near your sort of rib cage, they take a muscle and they pull it through to the front. And then at that point, you can, I think they give the option of adding an implant. That, I think, is usually given for people who don't have the ability to support an implant on their own. Right, okay. I think also they can inject the the lipo filler. So again, with implants, F-lap and diet, they usually will take fat from other parts of your body and place it into, yeah. into the breast. I've, um, I've got here is a definition, a type of surgery used to rebuild the shape of the breast after a mastectomy. A tissue flap, including blood vessels, skin, fat, and sometimes muscle, is removed from one area of the body, such as the back or abdomen. It's then reattached to the chest to form a new breast mound. The wonders are science. And I'm not being facetious there. That's incredible. It's, so, and and again, diet's pretty much the same. So diet is where they basically cut from hip to hip and it's like a tummy tuck sort of boob swap. I I, I, I don't really know how you would, you would class it. It, and is, it is a cutting edge breast reconstruction procedure that uses the flap of complete tissue, blood vessels, skin and fat from a woman's lower abdomen or donor tissue so kind of sort of liposuctiony type it, thing mixed with other yeah. elements and and to be fair it's it, it's one of the it's one of the options that you have and you you don't you don't need anymore you don't need to you don't ever need to to cross back over to the surgeon for you know you didn't get your implants swapped out or anything like that it is it's the one that they you know they do and that is that yeah. is you but there there was some downfalls with that and i think that given my age and again i've i've not i've not thought about a family or started a family there can be some complications with that type of surgery prior to having any children mm-hmm. and that is because if you imagine you you've just had a tummy tuck you no longer have a lot of skin and when you carry a child oh, you stretch oh stretch yeah and that can I'm not saying that you're. I'm not saying that you're not going to be able to stretch to accommodate your child, but there, there, there is some, there is some risks to these challenges. Yeah. To to you know how how far can your child grow before your stomach starts to potentially struggle, and uh-huh. it just that in itself felt like too too big and too serious a decision to come to at this age, and I know that 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 sounds interesting given the decisions that I've already made at this age but in comparison to the reconstruction options right now in this age I don't think it's suitable for me I think in maybe 10 to 15 years if I was having this conversation and I'd maybe had a couple of kids and you know I was settled and I was happy to to just continue on as I would I probably would go for that option Mm -hmm. But the fact that I am still young, I am single, I don't I don't have any children, it feels like a very big decision to make that can impact my future. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't Yeah. I, I'm not in I'm not in that place to to do that. Whereas 
again, implants is also the least invasive, which means a quicker recovery time. Yeah. Unless body parts being taken away and removed. and Especially if you've already been sort of through the You're wash. already, I'm already losing one thing. I don't, I don't want to be losing anything else. I'd yeah. rather. You mentioned there about being single and you have spoken pretty openly about this. Um, I mean, do you have apprehensions about dating life or are you sort of thinking that, you know, it is what it is and if the right person will be all right with it? So that, that, do you know what, that is very much, that is very much my mantra that, it is what it is, and if if it's to be, it will be. I just think that, especially now, and and, and we spoke about it there about you know this the, the generation and 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 people's attitudes to to just everything. I don't think I don't think necessarily just just dating, just how people conduct themselves. I think is is totally different to to how our parents would have conducted themselves at this mm. age. It's 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 just very. I, times times have changed if i could interject right and here's my sort of two cents and i agree that that with the younger generation coming through um and even the one after that there are issues but those issues people become i think products of their environment so see our parents generation and our family are sort of above us the one before them would have been like these we assholes are fucked they've got this thing called mtv They've got these magazines, right? And our MTV is TikTok and social media and and that sort of c- culture that goes hand in hand and, with it. And and that. So I think they sometimes ask a lot of them. I do, but I think I sometimes I jump on the bandwagon too easy, and I'm kind of trying to reflect on that. And I'm like, these, you know, the 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 wee issues or the things that I don't like, the wee idiosyncrasies are, are sort of even broader things. I'm like, well. Is that really their fault? Are they a product of an environment that I have participated in and I have propagated? I do think I will back. I need to. I'm going to start backing up the younger generation a bit more. I don't think it's entirely their I, fault. Do you know what? I, I, I'm not even saying the younger generation because it's. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm not dating to 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 look younger. So it's actually more my generation and the people that are just above mine. Thirty five and we'll say thirty five and under. That's like the kind of cut off. Then. Hi, thirty. thirty five's max. Like that's. It's just, it's, you know what, it's just very different attitudes. And I think that, and sometimes I need to remember that that not everybody in life has had the same experience with cancer that I have. You know, there is still people that, that have never, have never had anyone in their family with, with, with cancer. They, they've just been so lucky to very have fortunate. never, to have never had to deal with, to deal with that. And I think that sometimes it's, it's just about sort of taking it back and saying, well, you know, and at what point do we stop dating for just dating? And actually, when when's that cut off that people actually well, I think start to... I think that's very much an individualist matter. I don't think that's a generational thing because that's it comes down to the, the individual that you speak to. I mean, you can maybe have a, a broad brush stroke and say there are certain... Um, characteristics of a generation you could define but okay. really it's 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 per, per the individual to get back on to um so the next thing i wanted to ask was do you have a date for surgery but you were saying earlier before we started that you're kind of waiting you're in limbo a yeah bit. so i have an appointment in two weeks which will be my final appointment with my consultant before my surgery and based on what she said i'll book my appointment my surgery at that appointment and will they do you have an idea of like it could be six weeks six months no just a bit of a waiting game so 
I think as well, again, with, with sort of COVID, there's a lot of sort of wait and listen and, and cut back or restrictions on sort of how how many of these surgeries they can do and things like that. And I've always said that if there is there is somebody who has has got cancer and, and needs to have obviously the surgery to to, to get that away to for them to then go on to their treatment, then I'm quite happy to wait. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to wait forever because yeah, my, yeah. I do I do feel like my life is on hold. It's very hard to it's very hard to plan ahead knowing that when you have your surgery and you're not going to really be able to do anything for about eight to twelve weeks. You're you're kind of in limbo. Yeah. You don't you, you don't want to you don't want to commit to plans and then be like, oh, I'm sorry, I need to cancel that. And yeah, so it's very much when it happens, it happens. But yeah. hopefully that it's soon. Um, I'm sure you're you're loving friends and family will be running about after you. We should get oh, you a wee bell. I feel like, I feel like, I mean, they're not going to leave me. My mum and dad can't leave me because, again, I'm their only child, so <laughs> they won't. But my, my friends are probably going to have it tough. Um, I, I drive everywhere. I drive everyone everywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm always out and about. I'm always doing something. I'm, I'm just always so busy. So... Well, do you know what? for it me to be, be a, in for a, me to be in lockdown two point in my house, not able to do anything. Yeah, hold on. Where were you? You talking about lockdown two point We had about five. Were only like lockdown six. Do you know what? Now. They were all just one for me. Like aye. I just feel like from start to end, it was just all one big just lockdown. This um, do you know it could be good? You can get wired into Disney Plus. Take some time, um, rest, recuperate. Um, I certainly am wishing you all the best. Um, I would actually like to take this point as well to commend you, like on on being so. First of all, for being so brave, and that's my thoughts, my conclusion, and and actually taking the decision because it is a massive decision to take. Whether you think I'm really, you know, I'm equipped and I'm ready and I know what I'm doing, it's a massive step to take. But also to come and talk to me and then have a lot of people hearing it. You share on your your Instagram thing as well, your Instagram profile. I've looked at it, and if anybody would like to find it, because um, I think some of it is it's nice, like it's you sharing your experiences, and it's a selfless thing for something that is, you know, this ATM gene, which is there's nothing really known about it. The as usual podcast cliche. If you want to find the link to that, send the episode notes. It's there. Just scroll down, or it's at. ATM previvor underscore of underscore cancer. I love that previvor. See, when we first spoke, I was like, the fuck does that mean? And then you very, you know, I'm dim, but I'm not that dim. I very quickly worked it out. It's, um, you know, you're, you're getting in there, you're preempting it, your survival. Um, I think your openness, your honesty, and your sharing of information, well, even if it impacts one person or helps one person to, to check themselves or whatever it may be, it's been fully worthwhile. A hundred percent. And and that's and that's all that, that really matters is because I know that coming into this, you know, I, I typed an ATM, I, I got very limited information. I I I turned to I turned to Instagram, I turned to TikTok and I was searching and you know, there wasn't much. And yeah. there there's definitely a brilliant sort of community um for BRCA, so BRCA, um, which is another sort of cancer gene. They're very similar, um, but it's the one that's been getting tested for 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 years and years and years, and that's why they've managed to build up such a community. Whereas 
Magine's only recently started being tested for in Scotland. To my knowledge, they don't currently test for it in England. Um, and a lot of the people that I've actually spoken to with ATM have been in America. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So again, I, I just kind of jumped onto socials to to speak to people and, you know, mm-hmm. how how did you handle the news? What what were you doing? How are you what what are my options? Like and how 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 did you cope? And I think it's definitely been from speaking to other people that have gone through the experience that has helped the most. Yeah. And I guess finding finding like a, a little network of people that are all going through something very similar, are are, are sort of having having these surgeries and and being able to sort of take that that step into their life and and not have to worry. Removing that burden of I'm going to get breast cancer. Mm. I'm going to get breast cancer. Removing that burden. But also, I, I I I don't know how many times I've Googled, like, what do I need for surgery? Like, what are my, what are my after surgery needs? Mm-hmm. Can't find anything anywhere. But speaking to all these people, just little hints and tips of things that, yeah. that they didn't know about that they then found out helps. It's just... It's 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 small steps, you know. I'm not I'm not expecting to 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 help a whole community of people, but if it helps one person, yeah, then then that is all that matters. Yeah, because pro- it's, it's 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 someone that providing yeah providing practical assistance, um, relevant and pertinent medical information, and those wee tips and hints and tricks that you're saying. I'll finish up, and there's a Greek proverb, doesn't apply entirely to you but the concept does so it's basically a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they'll never sit the the tree that you've planted this information you're never going to get the shade the benefit of that but you've done it for somebody else and you know what this is now here and this will remain for however long Uh, forever i hope (laughs) unless i somehow apple boot me off um yeah so this will be here so i suppose the only thing i can say is Thank you for coming. Sorry. Right. Thank you for problem. being so open. And thank for we're finished because I really want some of those Haribo time fastics. I've been staring at them and I don't want to be tuned in the mic. Who wants to hear that? No, thanks again. And thank you for listening. And as always, we'll be back with another episode of Leather soon. I'm going to have my Haribo. Cheers. Leathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series including Talk Media, Natural Wonders, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.